Thank you for joining us today with Newly Awakened Ministries. Lord, we just even thank you for tonight, God, for just what you have for us, God, for how you're ministering to us. God, we just thank you. God, that you're doing something in us like never before. I just thank you just that you're doing something unique in our hearts tonight. And Father, we just bless you. We praise your name, God. We just thank you just even for this weekend as we remember you, God, for your sacrifice, for your victory, God. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so how are you guys doing tonight? Good. Well, um, my name is Andrew. This is uh, my beautiful wife, April, and that is my mom, Alicia. Um, you know, thank you guys for letting us speak to you guys tonight and letting us, uh, re- letting me release the word that the Lord has for us. You know, the first thing that I was wanting to do is <laughs> I was actually wanting to read this poem. It's actually just a list of declarations of who Jesus is. And I call it expectant because every time I hear and I just and I think of what Jesus has done and who he is, it just makes me more expectant for him and hungry for him. And so, you know, I start out with like, you know, who is Jesus to me? You know, he is the savior of my soul. He's the one who touches the lepers and make the broken ones whole. He is the light of the world, the living word, God and flesh, the barrier breaker veil ripper, the promise sealer. Jesus is the love of my life. He dreamt of my existence and breathed me into being. He is the visible image of the invisible God. You can say he opens our eyes, allowing us to see things we cannot see in our own. You know, Jesus is my strength and my comfort, my joy and my victory. He is my protector, good shepherd, the one who has the best in mind for me. His heavenly father is my heavenly father. Christ is my older brother. And as the body of Christ, we are his bride. Jesus, he is the ultimate unifier. Christ is our healer, our restorer. He walks on waters. He walks through locked doors. Jesus loved the unlovable. He cared for the outcast, the broken and the removed. Jesus broke traditions, but yet he brought peace. Jesus brought heaven to earth so this earth could look like heaven. He is the only worthy one of our lives, worthy of our praise, full of wonder and full of life. Jesus broke the curse of death and empowered us with victory. And Jesus is my greatest friend. That's how, yeah. Yes, Lord. Amen. And I just every time I just think of who Jesus is, doesn't it make you excited? Like when you get to know who Jesus is, when you get to have a glimpse of who, what Jesus is doing and what He wants to do in our lives, and like what He's even wanting to do with us and our relationship, doesn't that just make you like all excited and full of joy and make your heart just kind of flutter everywhere? <laughs> like you know, oh, it's awesome. Um, you know, before we go into the message, I was kind of wanting to share um, something that the Lord was speaking to me yesterday. And it, it might seem odd, and I feel like it was just, it might be for one or two people. But, you know, yesterday I had to do a little bit of lawn work because 
my dogs, they like to dig holes. And so <laughs> what I had to do is I had to go out and I had to grab a shovel, grab a wheelbarrow, and I had to go you know, grab some more dirt from another side of the yard to go and fill up the holes. Well, when I went to go do that, I started digging and I hit a root. I was like, okay. Then I hit a rock. I was like, okay. Then another root. And I'm like, oh my goodness. It felt like all the roots and rocks and all of the 30 acres was just in that one spot. <laughs> but I was like, oh boy. So, you know, I went off, unloaded, came back. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to go in a new spot. I'm going to go from the other spot. And when I did, the dirt started coming up with ease. And I started filling up like four or five barrels of just the dirt to fill up the holes. And I was like, man, this was just so easy. And the Lord was like, see, it's important where you're planted. And so, you know, there might be someone in here tonight, like you're wondering, like, you know, what you're wanting to be planted in, what you're wanting to be involved in, what kind of decisions that you're wanting to make. The Lord is just wanting to remind you it matters because where you are planted can either make you grow or it can make it really, it can make it really hard to thrive. So God, you know, he's just wanting to say, it's important where I place you. And, uh, you know, and honestly, when he said that to me, it was really heavy on my heart because recently the Lord had me and my wife at a place where we were able to serve at a church, serve at a house for a season. And, you know, and it, and some of it was good. And then some part of it, it was hard. And so the, so right now we're just, we're doing what we need to do and just following the Lord. And sometimes we can get impatient and like, God, I just want the process to hurry up. I just want, I just want this to go ahead and go there. And he's like, Hey, just be patient. I have somewhere for you. Just wait. And so, um, yes. Okay. Now the word that the Lord has for tonight and it's something that he's been on my heart for like the last maybe three weeks or so, but it's on unity. And he was saying, what we are in unity with matters. What we are in unity with matters. Because what we are in unity with can be the pillars of our faith, or it can be the strongholds to our downfall. And you know, the Lord, he gave me a couple examples for the negative and the positive you know, to show us like, you know, what we're in unity with, it can become our strongholds or they can become our downfalls. The first thing the Lord, he was showing me, it was three examples of our downfall because he was wanting to remind us of his goodness. And the first one, okay, first of all, who has their Bibles tonight? I just want to see you guys tonight. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you know, we are going to go through a lot of scripture. So I hope you guys are ready. <laughs> you know, the first example I'm going to say is like the fall of Satan. You know, we're going to go to Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 15. Yes. All right. All right. You guys ready? All right. Well, verse 12 says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star, O star of morning, the sun of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, and you have been weakened, uh, and you have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. 
And I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit in the mount of, of assembly in the recess of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will make myself like the most high. <coughs> Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, the bottom of the pit. Okay, and now we're going to go to Revelation chapter 12 and then verse 3 through 10. Then it says, Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, it was a great red dragon having several, uh, seven heads and ten, thorn, and ten horns. And his heads were like seven uh, diameds. I can't say. Yeah, thank you. And his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and threw them to the earth, which we know which is the third of the angels. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so uh, so that when she gave birth, he might deliver. Uh, no, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his into his throne. Then the woman fled to the wilderness and where she had a place prepared by God so that she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon uh, and his angels waged war uh, eight, oh sorry, verse eight, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place for them found in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, and the, uh, the serpent of the old, who is called the devil and Satan, and, de- and who and who deceives the world, the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels uh, were thrown down with him. And I heard a, vo- a loud voice saying, "Now salvation, and the power, and the kingdom." of our God and of the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren has been brought down and he who accuses them before our God day and night. Okay. So the reason why I'm really trying to go over there is to show the great downfall of Satan. And it's because he, what, did, what happened? <laughs> he went and he was like, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to try to be the one that takes authority. I want to be the one that tries to take the place that's like God. And I'm because he was also the angel of worship. So he was probably craving some of that worship. And, you know, I was, you know, there's always these studies and these theories about when, you know, Lucifer went up to heaven, he he started a rebellion in heaven and he brought a third of the angels with him. And I was like, you know, I was trying to figure out where the source of that actually came from. And I found it. It was in the, it was in the epic poem of paradise lost by John Milton. It was in 19, no, sorry, 1675. And, you know, but the thing is a lot of people believe that where he went into heaven and he actually caused the, the, the coup against God. And the thing is, it was, he already had his heart turned, right? He already had his heart turned against God, said, I'm about to ascend into heaven. So he went into heaven and he actually created a unity and a rebellion against God. And with that unity, with the wrong unity, God cast that down. And that's what I was trying to say. 
And so that was like a large downfall weekend. And then now with man, we can go to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. It says, Now the serpent was more craftier than any beast of the field, which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die. Uh, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Mm. Knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that, that the tree was good. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was made a delight to the eyes. And for the tree, it was desirable to make one wise. And she took, and she took, it, from, she took it from the fruit and ate. And she also gave it to her husband with her, and she ate. No, and he ate. And then the eyes of them both were, were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves uh, loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. Sorry. In the presence of the Lord in the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman that you gave to me to be with, she gave, uh, she gave it to me from the tree, and I, so I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, He's like, what is this that you have done? The woman says, the serpent had deceived me and I ate. Okay, so the point that I wanted to make from this is that we can see where Eve, she sinned. First, she sinned, but nothing happened, right? But it was when man and woman came in unity to rebel against God's word. It was when, the, when mankind came in unity to rebel against God, that's when the fall happened. And so that's what, what I'm saying is like, that's what created the downfall. Now, there's this thing that I heard from John Revere, and it was really interesting. Because in chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, we can see where S- Satan, he tempts Eve. And she said, and it says that Eve is tempted by the good of the tree. Remember? That's why I was saying, I was emphasizing the good of the tree. Eve is tempted by the good of the tree. And it's like showing that just because it looks good, it can really be deadly. And that some, it's like sometimes sin can look good, but, or sometimes it's cutting corners or seeing easy way out, seeing an easy way out. But honestly, it's very deadly. And I was thinking about it, that, whew, I was thinking about this. That it was the good of the tree that tempted, you know, man to sin, right? But it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. 
It was the goodness, it was the good of the tree that tempted them to fall, but it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. The goodness and the kindness of God that draws all men to repentance. Because it, Because we have to know that the devil, he brings corruption. We also have to know that my God brings redemption. And so this is what I'm saying. So if you are feeling low and if you're feeling broken, you know, that you've sinned against God, you know, I just want to remind you that his grace is sufficient for you to forgive you and that his blood is greater than anything. His blood is greater and stronger than anything that could oppose it. Man. So the last example that I want to say for the downfall is in the Tower of Babel. And so we know in Genesis 11, verse 1 through 9, it says, Now the whole earth, is it okay if I go ahead and read or you guys want to read it with me? Okay, cool, cool. So 11, verse 1, it says, Now that the whole earth used to be, uh, used to say the same language and in the same words, and it came about that they journeyed east and they found a plain, um, they found a plain in the land of, Sh- of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, let us come make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used the brick for stone and they used, and they used tar for mortar, mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered all across the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and to see the tower, which the sons of men have built. And the Lord says, behold, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they will begin to do. And this, what they began to do. Now, nothing which they purposed will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language. And so that no one will understand one from another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from all over the face of the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language uh, of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them across, it's like abroad, over the face of the earth. And so, you see, the earth was in unity, but why? You know, verse four, says to build a tower that will reach heaven. And then they were also saying to make a name for themselves. You know, the, the unity was actually going against God's temporary boundaries of heaven and earth. God purposely separated his spirit from, from the flesh at that time. And, you know, and he did say to make sacrifices, but they were trying to break the boundary of bringing that reconciliation. And God was saying, no, this is not going to happen. And plus, they were also saying this. We are going to do this to make a name for ourselves so that we can be great, so that we can, you know, we can look good, that everyone that, that's over here will know us. But God is saying, hey, all the, all the glory belongs to me. And on this earth, he's like, I'm still going to be God. And so he separated one from another. Now, for the unity that can be the pillars of our faith, man, I really love it. Because what happens when we become in unity with God's promises? 
We know that God said like, you know, that every word that he has spoken, it will not go void. So when he says it, we can take it and we can, we know what's going to happen. And so it's kind of, it's, it's better for us now since we have the Holy Spirit with us. We have all the testimonies in the word, but you know, I can say just even take someone for Abraham, that he became a pillar of faith where he became someone that showed us how to use faith in this way. He says, because we can take him that God promised him he would have more descendants than the stars in the sky and the sand, you know, the sand on the land. And, but in Abraham, he believed God even until he was, you know, old in age. And because of his faithfulness to hold on to God's promises, Abraham came into unity with God's word and his word was fulfilled. And it actually started, you know, the lineage that Jesus was going to be born from. Just think about that. God said, God gave you a promise and you hold on to it. And because of that, you know, he's actually, God's going to birth his seed through your line. That is awesome. And that's the thing. It's like when God gives you a word, he's actually wanting to birth things in you and through you. You know, he's wanting to do a new thing inside of you. And it's like, it's just from heaven to earth and flowing through. And so also what happens when we obey a command from God? We know that God commands Moses and the children of Israel to walk through the Red Sea. And they did. And, the, and as they did, like the sea split and the testimony of Exodus from, from Egypt was a pillar of faith that they always referred to and even prayed in the midst of their distress. They would call upon God and they would even say, the God that brought us out of Egypt, <laughs> the God that split the sea, the God that provided for us in the midst of the wilderness, they would always, rem they would always remember God, you are the one that delivered us because it became an ultimate pillar that shaped history. And also another example for when we obey God in his command is in Acts 9, verse 10. You know, it says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. And the, and the Lord said to him, Get up. And go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for from a, a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him and so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard about this uh, I have heard about this man from many people, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from his, the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings of the son of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias departed the house and, and he entered the house and laying his hands upon him. Said, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road which you were coming, has said to me uh, to go so, so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there 
fell from his eyes, something like scales, and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. Man, can you just, yes. It's like when we go somewhere and we obey a command of God, lives are changed. You know, people are healed. They are set free and they're impacted all over the world because of God. And just, just think about this one act of obedience from someone that just said yes to God. He helped equip one of the greatest missionaries in the early church and someone that wrote the, a lot of our New Testament. <laughs> just think, just that one act of obedience shaped history. Now, think about this. What happens when we come in unity with Jesus and all that he gives us. You know, what happens when we come in unity with his healing, with his cross? What comes in unity when we, what, what happens when we come in unity with his freedom? You know, with, the, with his power and with his Holy Spirit. Like I said before, lives are changed. You know, people are healed. They are saved and they are set free. Because we know that Jesus, he still works miracles. He still heals people. He still brings salvation. And so we have to know, like, what does Jesus have to say about unity? You know, in Matthew, you, this is just one verse. So Matthew 18, verse 20 says, For where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. Man, I didn't... I didn't write the scripture down, but just think about what, like even in John 14, it says, ask anything in my father's name and I will do it. You know, I've already sent you the Holy Spirit. And now he's saying, you know, where two or three or more are gathered, I'm going to be there. So in his unity, we know that the spirit of Jesus, he is here. Now this one, we are going to go to John Chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. All right. So from verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. There's the unity. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. What can we do without Jesus? Nothing. nothing. Is it so? Oops. Man, I just tapped something and it, it made me lose my place, but it's okay. Thank you so much. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. If they get and, and they gather them up and cast them in the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
He says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so, prove to be my disciples, just as the Father has loved me. I also loved you. I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy may be in you and and that your joy may be made full. You know, this isn't part of what I was planning to say, but you know, I I love it that he's saying (laughs) that if you are in me, you are going to bear much fruit. Why? Because we have to know that Jesus, he, he had a lot of fruit when he was on the earth, right? So he's saying that if you are in me, you're going to look like me. You're going to start sounding like me. You're going to talk like me. But if you're not in me, it's going to show. And it's like the ones that are bare, they have nothing on them. It's going to be pruned away. And I was asking the Lord, I was like, you know, this is, they will be cut away as a branch. They will be thrown away as a branch. He just said, I am the vine. You are the branch. You, he was talking to the disciples. He wasn't talking just to people. He was saying, you are the branch. I was like, why was that? And he was saying, because those people were more interested in bearing fruit on a branch of selfishness than they were instead of abiding in the vine. They were so con- consumed and they were so concentrated about Doing something on their own, they weren't abiding in the vine and receiving his flow and with what he was wanting to do through them. And so now we're still on the, on the topic of unity. So we are now going to go into two sections of Ephesians 4. We are going to go to Ephesians 4, verse 3 through 7, and then after that, 13 through 16. So first, Ephesians 4, verses 3. It says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of, the, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, Grace was giving according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now we're going to go down to verse 13. And until we obtain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about every wind of doctrine and, every, and, and the trickery of men by craftiness and de- deceitful scheming. Ooh, remember what we were just reading in Genesis, 1, Genesis 3, how it was deceitful and cunning. That's the way we were tossed before, but now he's saying, grow up a little bit. Don't be tossed. But verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love, in love, and we were all to grow up in all aspects into him, into Christ, who is the head, yet even Christ, from from whom the whole body being being lifted and held together by which every joint supplies according to the proper working 
of each individual part. And it causes growth for the body to be built itself in love. (laughs) I love that. Jesus was just saying in John 15, love each other because I've loved you. And the way I've received love, I've reflected my love. And just as you receive my love, now reflect my love to everyone else. And so at all of this that Paul is saying in Ephesians, he's saying, build up in love. And so, all right, this one, we are definitely going to need our Bibles for. This is a chapter that was ingrained into me, and I love it, and I felt like the Lord. He was just saying, just read the whole thing, and that's okay. So we are going to be going to Romans 6, verses 1 through 23. It says, What shall we say then? Are we, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. For how shall we who died to sin still live in it? For do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Man, that's what I'm trying to say. That topic of unity. He's saying that we're going to be united with him in his death. We're also going to be united with him in his resurrection. Just as we are united with him on the cross, we're also united with with running out of the grave, right? So knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ had been raised from the dead is to never die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So even consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God and Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not, do not go on presenting the members of your body as sin, as instruments of unrighteousness. But present present yourselves to God, to those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of of righteousness to God. Verse 14. For sin shall no longer be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one who you obey? Mm. Either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you have become obedient from the heart. You have been obedient from the heart. 
to the form of the teaching which you were committed. And you have been freed from sin and you became slaves to righteousness. We get to serve God with everything we have. I am speaking to you in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, of our flesh. We're, We're the audience. You know, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. We are called to be sanctified. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in the regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? You know, we used to sin and we used to enjoy the things, but what good is it doing us? It's like, for the outcome of those things is death. But now you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God. (laughs) We get to belong to him. You derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, I love that chapter. For we get to be with Jesus, in Jesus, and he gets to be in us. You know, Paul is even saying here, if we belong to Jesus, then we belong to his cross. We belong to his resurrection. It's like that we are in unity with his death and in unity with his resurrection. Those are good things to be in unity with, right? Those are going to be our, those are really our pillars of faith. It's like, so that if we are in Christ, we are now sons and daughters of the most high God, of the most high King. So this is the last passage that I have for us tonight. And we are going to be going to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. So starting verse 11. And he said... A man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate of my inheritance that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them, and that, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he had squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began uh, to be impoverished. So that he went, so when he went, and he hired himself out to one one of the citizens of the country, and he and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with some of the pods that the swine were eating. And so, because no one was giving him anything to eat. Man. So, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. 
I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion for him. And he ran down and embraced, embraced him and he kissed him. And he said, the son, and the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. You know, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he has now come again to life. He's like, and he was lost, but he has been found. And then they began to celebrate. But verse 25, now his older son in the field, when he, be, when he came, approached the house and he heard the music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and, be, and began inquiring to what these things should be. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he was received him back safe and sound. But the brother became angry, was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said, and he said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet, he's like, you have never given me a young goat. He's like, that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came and devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you came and gave, gave him a fatted calf. And he, but the father said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. He's like, but we have to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and he has begun to live. He was lost, but now he is found. So there's a couple things here. First, if we're a son, we should actually recognize our inheritance. Because he was saying, look, what I'm doing for him, you could have been doing all along. You just chose not to. So for us being sons and daughters of God, let's recognize what God has given to us. Two, the main thing, when the father saw the son returning, he did not shame him. And he didn't give him, a, he didn't really even give him a chance to run away either. <laughs> but immediately, whenever he said, hey, you're here, go get him a robe, give him a ring, like, like put on his feet, show that he's part of the family, give him the same authority that I have. You have to remember, his father was not angry with him. His father was actually just yearning to be with him, to be united as a household. His father did not go up to him and say, oh, what did you do? Why were you so stupid leaving? You know, he didn't say, 
You just wasted all my money on prostitutes and just did literally nothing with your life. He didn't say that. He didn't say, dude, what are you doing? You're coming here filthy and you're dirty and you, you, you don't even look like you're well. No, that's not the heart of our father. Because we have to know that the heart of the father runs after you. He chases after you and he's begging to be with you. And so guys, that's where I'm at right now. So first, if there's anyone here tonight that they feel like they've been distant from God and they want to know him, they want to know his spirit. They want to say, man, I want to come back home. I feel like I've run away. Yeah, even if you're watching on live, this is even for you. But if you say, man, I, I want to come home. I want to know this father that is so good. I want to know this father that has more than enough for me. The one that's not going to reject me. The one that's not going to harm me. But he's going to receive me with open arms. If, if you're in here tonight and you just say, I want to know that father. I want to know the father of Jesus. Like, will you raise your hand? Okay. Now. I heard earlier that God, he was saying he was wanting to break off shame. He was telling me, he was like, I want to break off shame because there's been people that have ran and they have gone out and done crazy stuff and they've come back to me, but they still want to keep telling me I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me your servant. But God, he is saying, you are my son. You are my daughter. The things that you have done, you've asked for forgiveness. And I've put them in the sea of, for of forgetfulness. <laughs> God, he is wanting to break off shame tonight. <sighs> so if you're here in this place, or if you are even watching online, I want you to receive God's freedom. You don't have to be in shame. You don't have to be in fear anymore. So real quick, I want to ask everybody in here just to close their eyes. If there's anyone in here that says, I want to be free from shame and from guilt from the old things. I just want you to raise your hand real quick. I want to see that God, yes, Lord. God's going to come and minister to you right now. And so, Father, we just thank you, God, that you are breaking off shame. You are breaking off condemnation. You are breaking off fear. God, I thank you that you are bringing a cleansing. You are bringing a clean slate. God, I thank you that you are cleansing hearts right now. God, I thank you that you are bringing wholeness and purity right now. God, I thank you that you are restoring the body. You are restoring the spirit. You are restoring the soul right now in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that even when Daniel, when you spoke to Daniel, said take courage and be courageous so anyone that's hearing this God is saying take courage and be courageous he is wanting us to walk as he walked and not to walk in shame or fear but to walk in boldness so father we thank you we thank you for your the boldness of your Holy Spirit now if there's anyone in here that has been praying for need, praying, praying for healing in their body, will you, and you are wanting to say, tonight, I want to say, God, do have your way in me. And we will pray. I, I want you guys to come up to the altar real quick. And Miss Melody and uh, Mr. Mike, would you come up here and help me pray for people? So guys, if you're in here tonight, 
And you're saying, I have a need on my heart and I have been dealing with an issue in my body and I want to be healed. We just want to say, Lord, come and have your way. So, yes, so if you can, can you lead us into another song? Yes, Lord.
Thank you for listening to this week's Fuel the Flame from Newly Awakened Ministries. You can follow Newly Awakened Ministries on Facebook and Instagram. You can also connect with us through newlyawakenedministries.com.